Well, good morning. We, uh, last week we finished looking through First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our walk through that, that book. I did. Um, and as I was trying to figure out what are we going to do, uh, you know, we've got six weeks. Am I off by one? No. Six weeks from now, from today, is Easter. Uh, and bring it to your attention as well, we do have a sunrise service uh, that's on the back of your bulletin, and breakfast will be right after that, and then we also are going to have our 9.30 service uh, on Easter as well. So we do have a sunrise service at 7.30, I believe it is, if you want to come out for that, and our breakfast is right afterward. And I said, okay, so I've got the baptism week where we're going to talk about baptism, so that week I don't have to try to figure out right now. And then we've got Palm Sunday, which we'll probably talk about, you know, Palm Sunday, and then, of course, Easter, where we'll, you know, talk about Easter. So that leaves me with three weeks that I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I don't want to have this whole series in there and have to stop it in the middle and re-pick it up after Easter and stuff like that. And um, as I was sitting there thinking about it, God struck me with something. And I'm about to clue you in on one of my biggest pet peeves in life. A lot of things bother me just shooting straight with you. They always have. And I'm usually very vocal and open about what bothers me. And one of the things that has always bothered me is when scripture is taken out of context. You'll notice when I preach, I try to put everything in the context of everything that's around it, whether it be the immediate verses or the paragraph or the chapter or the book or the Bible as a whole. I like to know what it's talking about in the context of it. And so I said, we could do a couple of those. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different uh, verses that are taken out of context. Now, I want to say this. For some of these, what they're taking out of context to mean is not necessarily wrong. It's just that that verse is not saying that. We're going to look at, I, I, will, I won't keep you in suspense. This week we're looking at Luke uh, uh, 13 here, or Luke 11, not 13, I apologize. Uh, Luke 11, 1 through 13, that's where the 13 came from. And then we're going to look at Jeremiah 29. How many of you guys have that as your life verse? I know a lot of people do. We're going to take a look at that one. And then the last week, week three, I might switch these two just so you know. But either way, the last week, we're going to look at Philippians 4. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm, it's so incredible. It's a great verse. We're going to look at what it actually means. Because it's not what the world wants to tell you it is. But today, we're in Luke 11. And how many of you guys have heard, Ask and it shall be given to you. How many of you know what you're supposed to be asking for? And it will be given to you. Because that is told to us in the very next verse. But nobody wants to talk about it. Because everybody wants their green Lamborghini. Let's read it, shall we? Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Most of you will know the verses in Matthew where he says similar, but it's longer. Verse 5. 
Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's the verse everyone likes. That's verse 9. Verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. For he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now I suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The notes the next couple of weeks are all going to look the same. The underneath of the notes won't, but your fill-in-the-blank will all be the same. I used to love that. when a prof- I had one professor who would give you the same test twice. It was great, and he would take the grade on the second test because his point was, if you were stupid enough not to study a second time, you get what you deserve. So, here it is. Number one, out of context. And next week, number one will be out of context. And the week after that, number one will be... Exactly. There we go. So number one here, out of context, what do people think that it is? This is where the name it, claim it theology gets its basis. Now, if you don't know what the name it, claim it theology is, it's this idea that if you say, in the name of Jesus, give me, fill in the blank, Jesus has to give it to you. It's a great theology. Oh, I love it. Wouldn't that be so great? In the name of Jesus, give me a full bank account. Mm, Praise the Lord. In the name of Jesus, give me this. In the name of Jesus, it's this idea that Jesus, as long as you, you have to claim it in his name. But if you claim it in his name, it has to be given to you because everything is the Lord's. Okay, everything is the Lord's, right? We know that. We're not going to dispute that. God is in control of everything. But just like any good parent, he doesn't give you everything. So this is where the name it, claim it theologists go to when they say, listen, the Bible says you'll get what you desire. You'll get what you need. All you have to do is ask. And then he goes on and he continues. He says, listen, uh, 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 see here underneath number one, just annoy God into giving you what you want. Just keep asking until he finally says yes. How many times does that work? How many times have I annoyed you, Dad, into giving me what I want? Once? Maybe? It doesn't work like that. But they say that those middle verses there where it talks about the man who who goes to his friend and pounds on his door at night and won't leave him alone. And then eventually the guy's like, fine, I'll get up and give you the bread. Just leave. Oh, well, all we have to do is do that to God and he'll give us what we want. And then the last thing there, B, if he didn't answer yes, he hasn't answered yet. This might be too uh, simplistic, but I was taught God has three answers to prayer. Yes, no, not right now. Or wait. There's probably a little bit more in it than that, but if you really want to boil it down, there you go. We know that God answers prayer. 
Every single prayer you pray, he answers. He just doesn't always answer it in the way you want him to. But, the, but the, they use these verses when you say, listen, God's going to give me. All I have to do is keep asking. And if it hasn't happened yet, God hasn't answered my prayer yet. Because he's going to answer it, yes. Why would God? God loves me, right? He loves me. Why would he withhold something from me like this? Why would he not let me have it? I really want my green Lamborghini. That's not true. I want a Camaro. <laughs> now you can't drive a Camaro around these roads. You'll lose it in a pothole somewhere. But if somebody was like, I'm going to buy you a car. I've got a great car. So I'm not going to get one like that. I want a Camaro. Jesus, give me my Camaro. I could be on my knees every single night. I would wager that I will never own a Camaro. If I had to go to Vegas right now and put money on it, that's what I would put the money on. But this verse is taken out of its context to say, listen, all you've got to do is beg God for something. Annoy him enough and he's going to give it to you. And then they take it, right? And they say, you could say to them, well, give me an example of that happening. And they'll take you to Hezekiah, who was supposed to die. And he goes, God, I don't want to die. And God goes, okay, here's 15 more years. They'll say, see, Hezekiah annoyed God into living longer. Why you would choose that, I don't know. Choose something better. A Camaro. No, but, but, but they use that as an example. They say, see, all he had to do was change his mind. Let me ask you this. Was God already going to give him those 15 extra years? Yeah, he was. The Bible says in that passage, God changed his mind. But God doesn't change his mind in the way that we do. That was already planned. He already knew that was going to happen. It was more important that Hezekiah asked, though. And again, they take that out of context, out of its meaning. Because when you take this verse out of context, it allows you to live the life that you want to live. It allows you to do what you want to do. And as long as you don't, if you don't have what you want yet, it just means God hasn't answered you yes yet. That's right. But he answers no. To be honest, he probably answers no way more than he answers yes. That's just the way of it. So that's what this verse taken out of context means. So let's put it in context now. Number two is in context. Next week, number two will be. We're getting there. And the week after that, everybody now, it will be, there we go. So what does it mean in its context? If you look in verse 13, if then being evil, so I want to point that out first, because Jesus just smacks him in the face. He's like, if you guys who are bad people won't give a bad gift, what do you think God's going to do for you? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. If then being evil you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm not talking about tongues or anything like that today. What we're talking about though is that Christ is saying, ask for the Spirit. Beg God for more of him and he will graciously give it. Beg God for more of who he is in your life. To learn more about him. To be closer to him. 
He never holds back. Never holds back from that. Keep knocking. Don't take, well, here's a little bit for an answer. No, no, no. Keep driving. Keep going until he goes and gives you everything. Keep asking. You know, I might want a Camaro. There's a lot of stuff that I want. But nothing could compare to knowing more of him. Not a thing on this earth compares to that. Hardships come. Yep. And my Camaro's not going to get me through it. In fact, the Camaro might be the cause of some of those hardships when it's in a ditch somewhere. But you know what gets you through hardships? More of him. What brings you through is more of him. If you're going to be equipped to face this world, to face this life, to face the little things, let alone the big things that come up, you've got to have him in your life at all times and be begging for more of him. And he graciously gives it. I'll give it. Take it back to the beginning of this passage. One of his disciples says, teach us to pray. It doesn't say one of the disciples asked for an extra helping of bread. It doesn't say one of the disciples asked that the governmental leaders would be ousted and their favorite politician would be put in. What it says is they asked to be taught how to pray. How do we get closer to God? And Jesus didn't even question it. He just answered. He said, this is how you should pray. And we've talked about prayer uh, a few times before. We're not going to talk about that today and dive into that section of it and pull it apart today. But he was more than willing to give it. More than willing. I was thinking also about the verse before it. Uh, two verses before it. Verses 11 and 12. Where the first one he goes, listen. If a son asks his father for a fish, he won't give him a snake instead. And I was like, okay, snakes are generally represented with evil. That sounds good. And then I, I, I was doing a little study into it. And at quick glance, a snake could be looked at as a fish. So not only is it evil, it's deceptive as well. The same thing. A scorpion, if it's large enough, curled itself up, at quick glance, passes for an egg. What Jesus is saying is not only will somebody on earth not give you the bad thing, they're not going to deceive you. And God's not going to give you a false spirit. If you ask him, if you ask him for more of him, he's not going to fake you out. He's not going to give you something that's going to hurt you. He's not going to give you something that will lead you further away from him. No, he's going to give you more of himself. So we take this verse out of context, and it means you can have any material thing that you want. All you have to do is annoy God. Put it in context, and it says you can have the spiritual. Forget the material. Trust me. Forget the material. Let me show you who Christ is. Let me show you who God is. And as you're going to see with these verses, these next couple of weeks as well, taken out of context, they make you feel nice and fuzzy inside. Taken in context, they give you something far more than what this earth ever could, than what this world ever could. So, wrapping this one all up, is it okay to ask God for your Camaro? Yes. It is okay to ask God for your Camaro. Recognize, though, 
He's probably going to say no. That's okay. But don't be concerned about getting your Camaro. Do you have a car that works? Great. Do you have a roof over your head? You're better than millions of people. Billions, actually. Do you have food on your table? Good. You eat more than half of this country. Not alone, let alone other countries. This country. Do you have the Spirit of God in you working and moving at all times? And if you don't, ask. And it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's not hiding himself from you. He wants to reveal himself. He's just waiting for you to ask. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I apologize that we as humans, I myself as well, all of us, have taken verses out of context at points. Father, I ask that you would help us to understand what your word means in the context of it. Because it's so much greater than what it means if we pull it out ourselves. Father, I ask that uh, we would ask for a greater measure of you each and every day. Not settle for what we already have. Not settle for an uninspired devotional where we just do it and get through it, but that we would ask for a greater measure of you, and I thank you that you are pouring yourself out. We praise you, Father. It's in the name of your Son that we pray, amen and amen.